So the opening line for the song we're going to talk about, You Take My Breath Away. That's not the song, it's the opening line to Don't Forget Me When I'm Gone by Glass Tiger. But I think it's uh, it's serendipitous that we do this song with that lyric, considering we did Take My Breath Away by Berlin. And our guest on that show was Kate Engel. And we have today her husband, Dave Kitchen, back with us again. I'm sorry, I'm using last names. Welcome back, Dave Kitchen. <laughs> now they know everything. <laughs> uh, good to be back. I, I have a guilty confession to make. I spent half an hour researching this song today, and it was about the half hour mark when I couldn't find the song on the discography that I realized I was researching Honeymoon Suite. So uh, I did write the ship eventually, uh, and I do have stuff to say about Glass Tiger, But so this could be a disaster for me or the greatest crossover episode this podcast yeah. has ever had. I'm not sure. Well, you've done half an hour worth of research. That's half an hour more than I usually do. So even though it was researching the wrong the wrong song, right? I kept or the wrong going band. through all the albums trying to find the, the song. I was like, why is the song not on any of the albums? And then I realized it's Glass Tiger. That's why. Well, okay, you two. I guess I'll be pulling the weight here. The debut album of Glass Tiger called The Thin Red Line featured this incredible song. This is the first single off this uh, off this album, too, first right? First single and first song written for the album. Yeah. Written in the span pretty much of like over a day. Written yeah. at night, a tired... Uh, okay, was it written over a day or a night? Well, if you count 24 hours as a day. Okay. Written over a day. Now, here's what happened. I guess we're going straight into song history Yeah, we're here. jumping right into Right into this. it, okay? So, I'm on jimvalance.com. Incredible website. So, Jim Valance, the famous... Uh, songwriter who's worked and producer who's worked with Brian Adams, Bonnie Raitt, Toronto, <laughs> and <laughs> I don't and, know. I, I reached there for Toronto. Bands as well. band. But Jim Valance is uh, he's got a storied career. He's won several Junos. He also worked with Doug and the Slugs. He did. There you go. He's got a fantastic website where he goes through the history of all these songs. And so he he wanted to work with Glass Tiger. And they were a band from Newmarket, which is just a little town north of Toronto. Yeah. I don't know if I'd call it a little town. Newmarket's probably much bigger now than... Yeah, I think it's like St. Catharines-esque. Okay, yeah. Size or more. I don't know. Okay, so... Do we know geography? I think it's north. Yeah. North of Toronto. So they're coming out of Newmarket, and Jim Valance, even though he's already worked with Brian Adams, I think Cuts Like a Knife has already come out, he still has to kind of prove himself, he felt, to the band. And so he kind of hung with them for a day. And then Capitol Records wanted him to help them write a hit. So he picks up Sam Reed, who plays keyboards in Glass Tiger, Alan Frew, who sings vocals, and Al Connolly, who plays the guitar, all fly to Vancouver. And the instructions from Dean Cameron, who's the A&R man from Capitol Records, was, we need you to write a hit single for the upcoming album. So he picks them up late at the airport, brings them home, he being Jim Valance. They sit around, and I guess Sam Reed just starts noodling on the keyboards. And Don't Forget Me When I'm Gone kind of comes out of that a little bit. Yeah. And so the next day, they come in ready to work, 
And within apparently, I think it's like 40 minutes, they have most of it down. I had heard also that on their way to the house where they were staying and and, uh, writing the song and everything, they stopped off at a record store. Because uh, Jim Valance had asked, like, well, what are you guys listening to? And Tears for Fears were was big at the time. Yeah. The album was Shout and uh, uh, Everybody Wants to Rule the World. And uh, so they went, they picked up that album and uh, they listened to uh, Everybody Wants to Rule the World. And Alan Free was just like, shuffle beat, that's a shuffle beat. And put that on the drum machine. And uh, that's how they, uh, that's part of how the, the whole songwriting process for yeah. the song. Yeah, exactly. And so I couldn't figure out what shuffle beat was, but that was, I have written down here shuffle board, but shuffle sure. beat sounds a lot better. Well, this is why we have our expert. Dave, can you explain to us what shuffle beat is? Uh, it's a beat that shuffles right along. Yeah. Okay. That's fantastic. That's, you're, you're as well versed in musical uh, um, theory as we are, I guess. I can tell you that Honeymoon Suite never used a shuffle beat. <laughs> I think it's connected to the bass line. So if you, okay. you listen to the bass line in Everyone Wants to Rule the World, yeah. there's a connection yeah. to the Glass oh, okay. Tiger song. And so if you listen to them side by side, and I'll try to figure out two clips here that I'll play, you can kind of hear the inspiration. Would you say that if um, if you play the song side by side, that the two uh, the two bass lines are going for a walk together? Was that would that be accurate? Will Ferrell would agree. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so that was a that was a pretty deep dive. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> Sorry, right off the hop. I like I got about eighteen thousand more words here to tell yeah. you about. <laughs> but in the end, they've written this incredible hit suddenly, and if you hear yeah. the the demo, actually has everything there already. Yeah. And then by the time they they end up in Toronto to record, but I think they ended up in some really fancy studio in Quebec because one of the bands that was supposed to record for Capitol Records, backed out of recording, so they had spare time. So oh, Glass okay. Tiger had like this pristine place to record their oh, stuff. okay. Oh, cool. All leading to this incredible song. Mm-hmm. I also read that Someday was also written during that that little flourish of activity, that first couple days. So they sit down and within 48 hours have their two big singles. Yeah, yeah, I read that too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One smoke break, I guess, right? Is yeah, that it? yeah. There's a smoke uh, break. Yeah, Jim Valens had so just like it, it can't be anywhere close to the house. Like, go for a walk. That's probably where they picked up the baseline when they were out for that walk. Shuffling right along. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, perfect. Okay. History of the band Glass Tiger. If we want to talk a bit about that, Alan Fru surprised. I think at least two of us when I listened to an interview. I'm like. Oh, why does he have a Scottish accent? I Wait, had no idea. Scottish? Yeah. Okay, so it surprised three of us. Okay, so Frank doesn't open any of the attachments I send him. Now I know. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> My approach to the podcast is like jazz music. You just make it up as you go along. That's what jazz is, right? Alan Frew spent the first 16 years of his life in a Scottish town close to Glasgow. I forget the name of the town. Well, it'd be impossible to pronounce anyways, because it's Scottish, right? Apologies to our Glaswegian listeners. 
it's enough to say he what would they say he 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 is nay from glasgow right (laughs) (laughs) the last podcast i was on was gowan who was also born in scotland that's right and then moved to to near toronto scarborough and and then hit a big so the real loser in all this is scotland yeah. Because it's just them and the Bay City Rollers, pretty much. Right. That's yeah. all they have left. Exported it all to Canada. Yeah. Thanks, Scotia. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no, I want to point out, too, that uh, you've been predominantly uh, Canadian 80s, uh, 80s musicians for uh, for the podcast. That's right. That, that's, Brian that, Adams. That's your wheelhouse, I think, right? It is. Yeah, I, and if I, it's not, we're telling you that's what your wheelhouse is. I also feel like anybody showing up on this podcast has about a 98% chance of doing a song from the 80s. So I'm not sure how much this is me <laughs> or if this is the podcast. Yeah. Well, I'm, we're saving Atlanta miles for you. Just, yeah. don't, you don't you worry. <laughs> okay. So Glass Tiger did do well in Canada Yeah. afterwards, but I think... After this album, they didn't really hit it too big in the States. Although I really like other albums and songs. They have a great greatest hits collection. Mm-hmm. I, I read something that the name Glass Tiger is loosely named after George Plimpton's uh, autobiographical sports work called Paper Lion. I don't know if that's true or not, but it's on the internet. So it's got to be like, you know, someone's got to believe it, right? Well, instead of paper, they went for glass. Instead of lion, they went for tiger. Early on in their career, gigging around Toronto, they went by the the name Tokyo. Yeah. Which I I, I think probably confused a lot of people. It's like Berlin. They're not actually uh, German. They were American. So you've got a Scottish expat singing in Toronto in a band named Tokyo. That's a lot. That's a lot. There's a lot to unpack there. Speaking of unpacking, I think we should unpack the lyrics to this song. Just one more quick anecdote about the band. Yes, for sure. So um, early, like when when they're in Toronto and before they were signed, like they're shopping themselves around trying to get signed, right? Island Records turned them down because they thought that they sounded too much like U2 who signed with Island Records. Capital wanted to sign Alan Frew just as a solo act and not the rest of the band. And then uh, I guess they opened up for Boy George and Culture Club for two nights at the uh, Maple Leaf Gardens in Toronto prior to being signed. So at, after they gigged and after they played the, the show with the Culture Club, Capitol Records called Alan Fru and said, like, well, I guess if I want the cherries, I have to take the whole pie. And that's how they, they got signed with the Capitol Records. And that's where that song, She's My Cherry Pie, came from. I think everybody knows how much Warrant really wants to honor a Canadian band who had a couple of hits in the 80s. (laughs) It all makes sense. Yeah, when you think about it. All right. Opening lines. As you've already discussed, you take my breath away. Love thinks it's here to stay. No, no, it's, oh, love thinks it's here to stay. Wow, okay. So I'm on the Jim Valance official website, songwriter, so he didn't write that in. Are you, what are you on, Genius? Uh, I'm on uh, (laughs) songmeanings.com. Okay, well, sorry. But listen to the song, there's so many O's in it. There are, okay. The O's are all cut out of my version. (laughs) Frank will put them in as I... Yeah. Okay. Oh, 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 oh. How's that? Yeah, that's that was that's um 
Magical. Yeah. Love thinks it's here to stay. Oh. There's still so much for me to do, and I can't stop loving you. Oh, oh. can this be true? Okay, I know this doesn't even take us to the first verse, but I kind of want to pause there because framing it as a narrative, which I I know often songwriters like to put word pictures in, but I like to cram them into a story. So he's with someone who takes his breath away. Mm -hmm. Now, he's talking about love in some sort of sense. Love thinks it's here to stay. So he must have this issue with commitment or fear of abandonment. And I think that's what we got going on here. It's an ironic thinks. Yeah. You know? Yeah. 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 So he's, he's, if yeah, we is see he, is he saying, is he saying this like kind of tongue in cheek? Because uh, we'll get into the lyrics more, right? But like he likes this girl, but because he's like, don't forget me when I'm gone. Right. Right. So he, he, my, my reading of that is, and maybe I'm jumping too far ahead, but uh, my reading is, he likes this girl and he wants her to remember him when he, like, I don't know. He doesn't explain why he's, I'm assuming he's either, you know, has a scholarship to the States and is on a football scholarship or he's going to war or one of those things. That's the only reason why you leave someone who you love, right? Or you move to Newmarket. Or you <laughs> from Glasgow or whatever. Glass Tiger, Glass Gow. Look at that. I know he's not from Glasgow and he's. Alfred's going to lose his mind. I know Scottish love their towns. Yeah. Because he's saying it with Rod Stewart in that song. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Do you think the original band's name was actually Glass Cow? Because <laughs> that would be amazing. They're like, no, you need something tougher. You can't be Glass Cow. <laughs> so they went with, well, Glass Sheep, right? Well, yeah. And then through a process of elimination, they finally got to talk. Yeah. <laughs> I uh, I think the uh, the love thinking it's here to stay is his love. Yeah, she definitely has other ideas. Yeah, that, that's that's kind of yeah my my rambling sort of nonsensical uh, interpretation. That's what exactly what I was saying. I'm surprised you guys didn't pick up on that. Well, when you said tongue in cheek, I'm like, no, 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 that's Berlin's take my breath away. I saw what Tom Cruise did to Kelly McGillis. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh. that still haunts nice my dreams. Callback. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Uh, are we now that we're at the year mark of the podcast we're starting to get self-referential is that I what's happening so. I, so, yeah. I feel like i'm good that's almost because i always write clean when i put this out up on itunes or whatever and i feel i'm getting a little pg-13 just like top gun one did yeah yeah little blue which was actually that whole scene was shot in blue light yeah did you see the new top gun kitsch so it's amazing, I saw it right? opening like, weekend. It's incredible. Yeah, like, I, I married to Kate Angle, for well, goodness yeah, sake. Jesus. I had no choice. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Such a good movie. It's great. Would have been better if Glass Tiger was in it, playing on the aircraft carrier. Exactly. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get to the end of this first section. <laughs> <laughs> when? Okay. So there's still, still so much for me to do. What is he trying to do? 
He can't stop loving you. Well, that's a classic line in love songs. Yeah. And then, of course, he asks the question, can this be true? So, that's the frame. So, he's mm-hmm. with somebody. He's n- he, he has abandonment issues. He's not sure if it's real. Mm-hmm. We don't know much about her, but we know a lot about him. Yeah. He's, it sounds like he's trying to work for her love. Yeah. There's still so much for me to do. And so, I mean... This is also the tough part when you're starting up a relationship where if you're trying so hard, you could scare them away. Yeah. And when someone's in it a little bit more than the other person, right? Yeah. Welcome to all of my relationships. (laughs) There's only two stanzas in this whole song. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, because this part is kind of like a bit bit of a surprise in the nature of the song. they, They go a little further in terms of describing his mental state. So, he says, if you could see what I have seen... Which, of course, is broken hearts and broken dreams. Mm-hmm. So, this is where I'm wondering. Maybe you help me out. Then I wake up and you're not there. Pain finds me everywhere. Oh, but you don't care. Now, is this a, an imaginative thing? So, this is my, the best case scenario. Is he just can't believe this woman's going to stay with him? Mm-hmm. Or he's like, fast forward, is like, where does she go? She's making you a coffee, Alan. Chill out. Yeah. <laughs> but w- what do you think? I don't think she's making a coffee. I think she is not there at all. This is just a dream for him. This is a broken dream. This is a broken dream. Okay. Right? Because when I wake up and you're not there, that he's dreaming of a relationship that he has with her and then waking up. A relationship that doesn't exist. A relationship that he, or it doesn't exist in the way that he wants. Oh, okay. You know? And so that leads. Okay. This song makes, it hits closer to home for me now. (laughs) Well, it's that whole thing of there's so much more. It's good that you can laugh at how (laughs) desperately lonely I am. I appreciate this. It gets us more downloads, Frank. (laughs) I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it's tragedy bait for the podcast. No, it's, um, it's that line, there's so much for me to do, which is either win her over or manufacture the relationship in his mind in the first place. I thought I'm it was just sure. like chores he had to do. Like, you know, he has to sweep out the garage, like tidy up the kitchen, cut the grass. I don't know. He's been married for 20 years. This yeah. One of those thoughts. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> He's got a to-do know. list yeah. that eats up his Saturday. Yeah. <laughs> so when he's gone, he's just really cutting the lawn. Yeah, exactly. All right, I got it. Okay. So that, now, of course, everything's about getting to that chorus. Don't forget me when I'm gone. My heart would break. I've loved you for so long. It's all I can take. That doesn't talk about necessarily, in in my mind, a relationship that doesn't exist or that he wants to exist. Like, as delusional as as you can be with love or any and and stuff like that, this sort of 
implies that he actually was in a relationship or is in a, maybe a, a one-sided relationship with a woman. Right. That's that's my guess. That's my feeling. So you're going for it. This is an infatuation thing even. It's I, I, I think it's I think it's a one-sided relationship. Yeah. Like a, she she you know, he's hot, she's a little bit cold. He's yes, she's no. He's in, she's out, you know? I gotcha. I gotcha the first part, but thanks for the, the <laughs> next couple lines. So they're not together, Frank? <laughs> <laughs> Once again, we can rely on 80s pop music to capture the ephemeral <laughs> contradiction of human love. But um, there, there, I did watch an interview with him where he was talking about the producer and how, how they came in with a formula of a pop song. It's like, you need a couple. They even said like today you only get about 30 seconds and they even start songs with the chorus and stuff. But he said back then the sensibility of writing a song when you're putting it together was you start with a couple of, uh, of what it wouldn't, not stanzas, but like, what do you call lyrics? Yeah. But like before you get to words, a verse. Yeah. Yeah. A couple of verses, a couple of stanza verses or whatever. And then you got the chorus and then you got the pre bridge and the bridge. Yeah. And in the interview, he said that the um, producer said, let's dismantle all that and let's just make it a pop song. So he's very proud. Alan Frew is very proud of this. It's just a pop song. So, so I'm not sure if this is just, they just need some love adjacent words to fill in some stanzas just to get them over the finish line okay well all right back to this (laughs) all right i guess i'll be scrapping this page i have written here oh no i wrote an essay and everything that makes the most sense although i really like Yeah, but does it make sense because it was about the honeymoon sweet song that kid just (laughs) talking about it's not even this song True. True. Now, this could be if we're going to cram it in. I could imagine a kid in high school who's been infatuated with a girl all year and gets like one date, but that's it. Well, that lucky kid. This is a Bill Hazard autobiography. It It wasn't even a date. It wasn't even a date, but it was to me. It Did you manufacture a date once with your newspaper uh, competition? He's, he's got a lot of work to do. Yeah, yeah. Me. Okay, I did. Still I, so much work to do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there was. Yeah, okay. When I was school newspaper editor, I did put an insert in with uh, Andrew Pendakis where we offered a dream date and people could enter into a, a contest. And then we rigged the contest. <laughs> that was one of the most shameful moments when we did the, we pulled names out of the hat and started we threw out. Oh, it was awful. Yeah. We threw out tickets. We threw. Out, yeah, it was a. The great thing is, you, you could you could have just pulled out a name and just said like, whoever whoever you wanted to go out with, and no one would have questioned I know, you. That made perfect. This wow. was a huge scandal yeah. back in uh back in uh, grade twelve. Yeah. We Weren't were you there. right beside me? Why didn't you give me this advice? <laughs> I was so green in my manipulative ways. <laughs> so- We've just basically covered the song in terms of the lyrics. They just kind yeah. of repeat from there. Yeah. But the song itself, like Kitsch has said, it's not, it's, it's the sound and it's the, it's those words and they just keep repeating and the, the music just kind of lifts you up. Even though 
there are like it's kind of sad lyrics the song is not sad so joyous no it has a a poppy bouncy feel to it right like with that walk and bass oh my goodness it's so good and the uh and and the keys right the the programmed horns and everything just really drives it along yeah but then um towards the end of the song special guest vocalist brian adams comes in this would be like sylvester stallone taking his cap Turning it around, going over the top. <laughs> We're going full 80s. Aren't oh, totally. We? With Brian Adams there, that gives it just that additional boost. The song is already incredible. Yeah. But that boost with Brian Adams just sends it in the stratosphere. And it, it did kind of go in the stratosphere, at least hearing uh, that behind the vinyl interview with Alan Frew and one of the other guys from Glass Tiger. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, Glass Tiger. <laughs> the, yeah. The, they said, there's a sense it should have gone to number one and that it was the number one selling single in America. Yeah. It went number two. So the way the billboard would say, well, actually Janet Jackson had more, you know, plays on this radio station. Yeah. And so there was, there's a feeling of dirty pool. Yeah. I always feel that way when I come second too. Yeah. Oh, exactly. <laughs> but uh, the, the Brian Adams uh, portion of it. So uh, what I love in the, the song is there's that, this amazing juxtaposition of these clean, crisp, like 80s pop vocals. And Brian Adams comes in with his raspy sort of Brian Adams voice. He may as well be Tom Waits, the way he sounds compared <laughs> to like the uh, Alan Frew at that moment, right? It, it's just like, here, Brian, chew on some gravel and sing these lyrics for us. Because uh, that's what it sounds like compared like when you play them right next to each other. But it, But it gives it... I don't know. It gives it a little bit of street cred. Am I right? You are right. Kitch, you got much on the history of this? Um, just that it was one of those freak accident kind of things where the producer of the album was the songwriter for Brian Adams. So um, isn't Jim, what's his last name? Valance. Jim Valance. His whole thing was he was looking for to be a songwriter and looking for a vehicle, and he found it in Brian Adams. And then I think this was one of the first song or first albums that he ever produced. And anyway, the way Alan Frew describes it in one of those videos is that Jim Jim Valance and Brian Adams were just keeping in touch, and just one of those fortuitous things where ah we're in the studio, come by, and he came by and and did yeah. the lyrics, much like. The guy from Yes joined in on Lawrence Gallup. Yeah, Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Wow, again. Yeah. Hail Scotland. Hail Scotland. (laughs) (laughs) And apparently it was on, I I was just looking before we got in here, it was like the Night of the Junos, the year before, the big Junos for Glass Tiger, that I think Brian Adams had won a bunch of awards and stuff, but Glass Tiger was there. And after the Junos, like the Night of the Junos, that's when they actually did the recording. Yeah. Okay. So that's I assume cool. they all go to parties, but Brian Adams, to his credit, the guy works. Yeah. So he's at an award show. He's won a whole bunch of things. Instead of going to an after party, he goes to hang out with a band that hasn't even released their debut album and yeah. then just puts down a couple vocals. Yeah. So he's a hero. Yeah. He's a national hero. And this is post summer of 69. So he's established and well, he's yeah, had his big hits. Pardon me? It was in 85. Yeah. Yeah. Which is after 69. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I see what you're doing with the math, yeah. Do you know what Brian Adams is saying when he does his extra lines? Um, 
I do because I had the lyrics in front of me, but I just closed my laptop. So I'm because I'm 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 running off of uh, running off of feels right, right now. Right. I can't believe that the last line he says is oh. "love and wrong." I'm like, what? Yeah. Wait a sec. What does that even? Brian, I had a story going here. And I don't even know what that means. And then I realized, no, 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 it doesn't matter. It's like that's why he just kind of muttered it. Right. Yeah. He's got three lines, right? My yeah, heart would break, break for heaven's yeah. sakes, sakes, and then is loving wrong? Yeah. 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 That's it. Is it? Is loving wrong? Yeah. Well, if it is, I don't want to be right. Exactly. Thank yeah. you. Don't forget me when I'm gone. For heaven's sake, I have loved you for so long. What's your favorite part of the song? Um, I don't know if it is. So much like a bridge, I'm not entirely certain what a key change is. I think a key change is uh, someone described it to me as a the part of the song when everything is unlocked and locked because of the keys. So it's like a canal. Yes. Okay. But at the end, it just seems to be, and again, it just goes for a walk. It steps up. It steps up. I don't know if the key changes. Maybe they are. If someone can call in it and feels like it, it does yeah so your favorite like five part five of them yeah your favorite part is the last minute and a half of the song yeah okay yeah yeah my favorite part of the song is the last quarter of the song okay yes. yeah For me, I'm looking at, like I have written here, is it bass, the horns, or just Alan Frew's vocal? I couldn't decide because every time I listen to it, there's things I like more. Like, yeah. Alan Frew's vocal is incredible. Oh, yeah. Like, I forgot how great it was mm-hmm. and how he can these hold these notes. And he described his way of singing as just going for it every yeah. time. And this became problematic when he had a stroke a few years ago. And so he keeps being worried now that every time he sings, will hit like trigger a stroke or whatever. So he's, yeah. I mean, he's still able to, they're still touring. He's able to do it. And he's recovered. But it was, but then I thought, oh yeah, that is how he sings. He just, he's up there, his higher registers and he's just singing. So that's one thing. Then there's those horns that are yeah. just so fun. Oh yeah. But the bass line moving it is also incredible so, so your favorite part of the songs is the vocals and the music yeah so basically the entire thing is it's my favorite, favorite and so when i was a kid because you could only hear songs every once in a while on the radio yeah every time i heard this i was like holy cow this is like one of the greatest songs ever but then yeah. it would almost leave my memory because it would be so long before i'd hear it again because yeah. it was huge when it came out what year did it come out 86 yeah. so i'm you're what nine years old. Nine years old. So by the time I'm, it's like 1989 and you're hearing things more often, you wouldn't hear this as often. I yeah. heard Diamond Sun a lot, which was good, but I wanted this. Yeah, yeah. I took the last quarter of the song. Bill took the entire song. What's your favorite part of the entire song? This is going to work out perfectly because it's the opening of the song. When those horns hit, that, uh, that wall of horns that yeah. come in, and there's a couple of drum beats to start it off, and then, yeah. the, then the horns hit. 
And, and it's funny because I was watching the video today on YouTube and one of the comments, the first comment that always kind of shows up when you watch it on your phone was like, it was so good to be young. You know what I'm talking about? I yeah. can't remember exactly yeah. what the quote was, but it was like, so good to be young so I can remember it now or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and like the great thing about the eighties is like the minute it comes out, it's dated. Yeah. You know? yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and I know that the part of that is because I grew up in the 80s. So there's all that nostalgia. But you know, you're in the, there's the, the horns in the 80s. Like this reminds me of like Studio by Phil Collins or even like Hot, Hot, Hot by The Cure, where it's just like yeah. synth horns. And it's right out the start. And like you said, it's just so fun, so joyous at the beginning. It's like you're in the 80s and you're in a pop song. Oh, what yeah. else do you want to be? Yeah. I don't want to be anywhere else. I feel for those kids. Who don't know about this song yeah but yeah. hopefully kids you're listening go there <laughs> I'm, I'm sure we reach the demographic we reach are our our uh, high school kids and university college kids right like yeah. people in their early 20s they are loving these songs from 86 that were recorded 20 years before they were born We have to talk about this video. Yeah. Wait, which one? Exactly. We have to talk about the two videos. I didn't realize there was a U.S. international version until a couple days ago. I only knew the Canadian. But so much of what we see in these two videos gives us a window into what Canadian music was like then. Yeah. Yep. The the Canadian version is so like quintessentially 80s Canadian video. And uh, the record label said, "Like, no, we need a we need a, another version of this because what you did is too cutesy." And then they recorded the U.S. version, which the U.S. version there's nothing really to it. Oh man, there's so the U.S. version has such an '80s feel in a way, where they're out there doing a concert. And it's just them doing a concert, mm -hmm. but they have moments where they freeze Alan Fru's face. And they don't finish the the this this party singing. Yeah. It's just his face and it feels like a bad home video to me when they do that. At one point in the US version, it's like he's he's sung so hard he needs to take off his jacket. He's got yes, like yeah, a, this yeah, yeah. tank top, high-end tank top. He's not like sex symbol tank top. It's just like I got a tank top because I'm singing so hard. And there's a moment where Brian Adams' voice comes on and the bassist and guitarist both look up. In the, uh, like, where'd that sound come from? It was yeah. just this, like, oh, come on, guys. They talked about the Canadian version being too cutesy, right? And we'll, we'll talk more about that that video, which I think we can, all three of us agree, is the, the better video, correct? It's yeah. one of the greatest videos of all time. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It looks like it's it's recorded in a church basement, and they're doing this, this performance. It's not as, as cutesy and, and uh, vibrant as, as the Canadian one, but, like, they're just smiling and happy and bouncing and just like, well, what are you going for? Like, what what else can you do with this song? I think the Canadian version, it, it's way more creative. Well, and it owns what it is, yeah. right? Because oh, yeah. the, the Canadian version, well, first of all, the American version also you know, puts over that, that crowd sound too to make it yes. sound like it's oh, like a, a huge concert, which you wouldn't get that sound from the amount of people that are in that video. Yeah, the 14 people in the crowd or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> 
But the Canadian one is is like almost set to be like from the fifties. It almost yeah, seems like yeah, right? exactly. the, the poodle skirts or whatever, yeah. and the, the like yeah. the, when the people play the the horns and they kind of jump left yeah. to right and stuff like that. And it, and it's all it's all kids in it. It's too, all right? kids. Yeah. It's, it's so which is great, fun, right? It's so fun, and immediately just puts the song in its place. So all the talk that I was trying to push about oh, it's about a relationship, it's about this, and then when Kitch said no, no, no. It's this is crafted as a pop song. The video says no. Kitch is right. This is a pop song. Take a look at the kids. Yeah, they got horns. They're having fun. Also, I wonder if it's cheaper to put a lot of kids in your video. That you only oh, have yeah, to pay them exactly, half the price. Right? Yeah. I watched a, an interview with the lead singer where he said that they ran into the guy who played the Brian Adams part and said that he he got some action from being in that role. So it's like, Are you serious? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> in that, that interview, the look on Alan Frew's face when the guy told him that, he's just like, let's not talk. And he's like, when like, he couldn't figure out if it was when he was 11 or when he was later. And Alan Frew's just <laughs> looking at him like, please stop talking. It's like... <laughs> But yeah, the guy who plays Brian Adams' part, who's an yeah, 11-year-old kid. Yeah, the kid that lip syncs his uh, the, yeah. the backing vocals there, yeah. Kitch, where do we think he's from? He's from The Christmas Story. He's the bully from The Christmas Story with the yellow eyes. Exactly. Yeah. That's it. Is, he, is it. But is it actually him? No. It, okay, he just no. looks a lot like He him. looks like him. I think he just has red hair, so we assume he's like an so, evil so guy, what? Frank. So all, all people with red hair look the same to you? That's... <laughs> That's not Frank, cool. Frank, you were old. Were you in that video, Frank? I may have been. It could have been you. I can't believe you bullied that poor kid in the snow. <laughs> but being in that video got me so much action. <laughs> so interesting um, kind of family tree of that, that video, directed by Rob Corto, who directed Moonlight Desire video That's by right. Gallon. And in the year, in 1986... For best video, Rob Corto had three videos nominated. It was another Gowan, another band I can't remember, and this one. Okay. And he lost to Luba. Oh. Who also won that year Female Vocalist of the Year. So a big year for Luba. Big Not year so for much Luba. for Rob Cortley, wow. who had three out of the five videos. So Rob Cortley is like Canadian video royalty. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think maybe it split the vote? He probably yeah, split he, the vote. He probably worked against himself. Yeah, that yeah, yeah, yeah. What's your favorite part of the video? Oh, I got so many favorite parts of the video. One of my favorite parts of the video is when Alan Frew is the groom and you, the viewer, are the bride and they're guiding you up to marry oh, him. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. And the father of the bride is looking at you and there's a moment where he kind of does a quick shake of his head like, don't do it. It, just, it was almost, it's almost, I can't tell if it's just a shake of his head or it's so funny because he's like, don't do it. Don't do it. I remember hearing a story of a, a person getting married and the father of the bride is just like, you know, we can just not do this. It's just like, and all I could see was. Two minus 10 seconds. Yeah. You need in the shake of the head of the, as he's going up and then, and then Alan Frew's doing his head nod and turns to one of the other members of the band to give him the the ring. And it's just like, oh, this feels like a Canadian sitcom. It's, it's yeah. such a happy place for me. So funny, that, that story that you told, that was almost the exact same thing that happened to my mother on her wedding day. My grandfather looked at her like before they went to the church and said, you know, you don't have to do this if you don't want to. <laughs> 
At least that's the story I remember hearing. I don't know. I may have invented that, but... Uh, that's got to be a tough conversation because in the movie version, the camera pans out and the woman's wearing a white dress. Yeah. Obviously, she wants to do this. Yeah. This yeah. didn't sneak up on her. <laughs> it's like, oh, shoot, I'm getting married today? What? The video feels a lot to me like, like Pee Wee Herman's Big Adventure. Yes, that's what I thought. That's everyone And the looks on... The way that each band member looks, they were coming out of there with the most incredible mullet hairdos. Like, oh, the amount of money spent on hairspray and just hairstyling for these yeah. guys from Newmarket was insane. Yeah, so it reminded me a lot of the wedding singer, where yes, you're like, okay. okay, this is a little over the top that Adam Sandler's band looks so ridiculous. I'm like, yeah. these guys all look like they belong in Adam Sandler's band in the wedding. Yeah, singer. Oh, I know, right? it was incredible, and they're all taking it seriously but also fun like they yeah. clearly are playing it up and hamming it up yeah it is perfect so listeners outside of canada look for the canadian version you don't need to look far because it'll be in the show notes let's talk about the junos yeah Okay. I have no idea where you're going because I did well, you want, half okay. an hour of research. <laughs> All right. So let's talk about winners of the Junos. So in the 1986 yep. Junos, yep. Glass Tiger wins for single of the year. New artist of the year. Is that right? No. No. And this is worth Okay. Noting. Yeah. This is okay. It, you're, you're in the right yeah. universe, yeah. but they didn't call it new artist of the year because this is Canada. The best they can give you is most promising artist of the year. <laughs> We'll give you we'll give you thirty percent airtime. Yeah, yes. and we'll give you the promise of something great. But this isn't L.A. Yeah. This yeah, isn't yeah. New York. We can't offer you anything but the promise of a good. So, time. single of the year, most promising artist of the year, Jim Valance wins composer of the year, and group of the year, of course, goes to Honeymoon Suite, <laughs> which I could talk about if we need to. We do. I was trying to figure. I was going through the album they released. Like, how did they pick Honeymoon Suite? I couldn't even hear. A major hit on there. They released two albums in in two like one over two years. Two albums. Wow. Eighty six and eighty or eighty five and eighty six. So they're giving them points for just productivity. Well, I it's, guess. it's quantity, not quality. But I'm shocked. I mean, I guess the thing is, Glass Tiger wins all these awards. They're not going to give them all the awards. Yeah. But this was the number well, that's one because song. like Canada is very uh, sort of. Uh, they like to spread the love around yeah. as much as they can, I guess. Well, and they're also reluctant when something makes it big. Yeah. This is, there's a, I talked about this in the Brian Adams one too, but there's a schizophrenia about Canada where we love the attention, but then once we get it, mm-hmm. we feel guilty about the attention. Yeah. And then we don't want to reward those albums. Honeymoon Suite, by the way, <laughs> feel it again and what does it take? So they were coming in on their own steam that year as well. I don't like yeah. the implication that right. they just kind of yeah. got grandfathered in or something like that. Yeah. Well, I guess because when you have um, Don't Forget Me When I'm Gone and Someday, I mean, yeah. sure, sure. Not, nothing too huge. All recorded within a span of one day. Yeah. About now for Frank, a day is six hours. For me, it's 24 well, it depends on how much light there is during the day, right? Like, when does the sun come up and when does it go down? Was it the... Recorded in the Yukon. Yeah. In, in Yukon what, in the was summer. It, was it in winter or the summer? Like, come on, Bill. Let, let, let's... You're in the Yukon in the summer. You got six months to, to very, record that album. I'm very legalistic over yeah, exactly. what constitutes a day and a night. All right. So, well, Juno's, there's, that was a big... So, Honeymoon Suite, way to go. You took out Glass Tiger. 
yeah. the group of the year. The interesting thing is that they, because they were the most promising group, they weren't even up for group of the year. Oh, right. Oh, okay. It was, Who is that? So Honeymoon Suite won. And this is actually one of the rare times where these bands are recognizable. The other nominees that year were Loverboy, Platinum Blonde, Rush, and Triumph. Oh, wow. So this is some heavy hitters. So, so some notable Canadian acts. But yeah, they, I guess because they were the new group, they didn't get in with the rest. Yeah. They're still in their sort of hazing period. All right. Categories. Let's see. All right. Uh, should we go start right away with mixtape? Do you want to talk? Do you have a mixtape or have you created I got, I got Studio and Hot, Hot, Hot by... Perfect. There we go. We got two. Yeah. Okay. So my, my mixtape was uh, based on my understanding of the song, which may or may not be correct. So this mixtape may or may not make sense. What's, uh, what, what do you have? Okay. I went for like fun horns type songs. I was oh, going to okay. say horny, but then I was thinking of... We have a horny mix. Yeah. yeah. This is a horny mix. Yeah. So we got Wake Me Up Before You Go-Go. Oh, Okay. Something About You, Level 42. Okay. Which sounds a lot like Tears for Fears, mm-hmm. which is going to be my last song because I only went with four. Okay, so but, you already told. Yeah, that's the fourth. But the third one is going to be Venus by Bananarama. Oh, nice. Because they wanted it in there and it's fun. And then yeah. Everybody Wants to Rule the World because it inspired it. That's my four. But the first song is Don't Forget Me When I'm Gone, which yeah. you will see in the show notes when you click yes. on the mixtape. Yeah. So, so my mixtape was uh, based on uh, songs of uh, how do I how do I say this? Um, me so horny. Me so me. Yeah. Uh. The, the the these songs are songs about um, like relationships that you you want you miss someone you and you want them back. So that that was my understanding of the song. Right? It's like don't forget me when I'm gone, like because yeah. we're gone, blah blah blah. Right. So. Miss You Like Crazy, Natalie Cole. Uh, Missing You, Steve Perry. Always, John Bon Jovi. Uh, Better Together, Jack Johnson. Goodbye, My Lover, James Blunt. Will not be on that mixtape. <laughs> wow. Will oh. not be oh. on that wow. mixtape. Okay, all right. Just because that song's terrible. But anyways, Somewhere Out There. Yeah. Linda Ronstadt and James Ingram. And then finishing with Missing by Everything But The Girl. Ooh, good. I don't want to be that, that guy. guy. But you're going to be that guy. Yeah, yeah. Did Steve... You're going to put James Blunt on this mixtape, no, no. aren't you? Did Steve Perry sing Missing You? Or are you thinking John Waite? No, there's two. You don't like the John Waite Missing You? I like the John Waite Missing You. Listen to the Steve Perry version. My goodness, it just it has all the feels. It just, it, it swells with emotion. And for the, the listeners at home who can't see what's going on right now, Frank has produced a pad of paper with the songs on it. So I'm starting to think that his half hour of research is more like about 10 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> because this is the only thing I've seen Frank read all evening. <laughs> you were not incorrect. <laughs> all right. I, I got some new categories. Oh, I this thought is I'd fantastic. How would this song change if these singers did the backup instead of Brian Adams? So I'm going to give you names. You tell me what you think okay. the song's going to be like. What if it was Corey Hart instead of Brian Adams? Uh, I, I, I think I think it would get uh, it would get too lost. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I think Corey Hart's a little too clean with his vocals. Okay. 
for for what I mean. I yeah. mean, when you listen to the song and that that backing vocal, like you you hear that Brian not Adams and. Uh, because there is that that difference, right? I think there, it, Corey Hart would be too same to Alan Frew. Do you think with Brian Adams' sandpapery voice, that leads to a much smoother Alan Frew? Yes. You, so you need Brian Adams yeah. to prove that Alan Frew is a yeah. good singer. Yes. I think Corey Hart would, would maintain. I think he'd bring his own gravelly sunglasses at night yeah. vibe to it. All right, it's okay. Kitch is saying Corey Hart's going to hold it. You're saying not quite. I, I I think I think there needs to be more more gravel. difference. Okay, right. All right, here's another one. I I like this one. Michael Bolton. No, oh, shoot, that's the fourth one. But oh, I guess, shoot. sorry, sorry, sorry. Just, all again. right, Frank. Well, we'll just no, well, that, save it. Yeah. For the end. Okay. This one, Glass Tiger toured internationally. After they toured with Journey, they toured with this singer. I think this singer could do a killer backup. Mm-hmm. Tina Turner. Oh yes, yeah. yeah. Oh, the female wow. Brian Adams. Oh yeah, I think yeah. Tina Turner doing this would be a fantastic greatest hits collection. I don't think she ever did it. She, Tina Turner's could still do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that would yeah. be great. Yeah. All right. Next, next one. Who I think wouldn't be as good, but would be quite a quite a get. They got him later. Rod Stewart. Yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. Because yeah, because there is a little bit of a, a a gravel in his voice sometimes too, right? Yeah. I guess I should throw in Lawrence Gowan as our Canadian Rod Stewart. Yeah, he'd, he'd, do, he'd do what Frank said at the beginning. He'd bring a real cleanness to it. Yeah, mm. yeah. Okay, finally, Michael Bolton. Yeah, he would explode this song. Okay, that leads to my next category. Michael Bolton, Destroyer of Worlds. Yeah, so I cha- <laughs> we changed it. So I, I want to change it this week just to say, instead of can Michael Bolton, would Michael Bolton cover this song, is at what point... Would Michael Bolton be destroyed or destroy the world while singing this song? <laughs> so I want you to think through this song. At what point in the song, while Michael Bolton is doing a version of it, does he explode or does everyone else explode on set and only he remains because he's Michael Bolton, destroyer of worlds? I think in my imagined key changes at the end of the song, when they just keep going up and up and up, I don't think he stops. I think he just goes until uh, he implodes. Or his head pops off and floats yes. away. Yes, exactly. I'm going to call that Michael Bolton blows up or blows us up right at the beginning. You where think so? As soon as he starts saying, oh, it, the first couple O's oh, start yeah. shaking, things start oh, yeah, crumbling. Yeah. And then he goes full Samson when he says, oh, can this be true? It just Because he can't just say, oh, this can be true. He's going to say, oh, in such a way. That he yeah. just summons it out of his diaphragm, which is yeah. really just atomic, yeah. and explodes everything around him. Yeah. And it, so he can't even get half a verse in before destroying everything. What about when he's singing and the Brian Adams part comes in, and it's everything that he wishes he could be, right? And he realized, no, no. Not everything he wishes. I mean, he is everything that he wishes he could be. But Brian Adams comes in, and then he realizes that Michael Bolton has gone for something for in, in his entire career. And then Brian Adams comes in and reveals that there's something more and Michael Bolton can't handle that. And it shuts everything down. I don't think I want Kitch on the, on the podcast anymore. <laughs> Are you saying that there's more than Michael Bolton can be? 
I don't think Michael you Bolton. You don't I think, think he's exper- You don't think he's uh, uh, met his potential? No, I do. I just think that he would look at that and and see Brian Adams singing and doing what he wishes he could also do, and knows that he couldn't do what Brian Adams can do in that moment. Michael Bolton so, is not envious. Okay, so this goes more T.S. Eliot style, where Michael Bolton doesn't end with a bang, but a whimper. Mm. Okay, I don't. Pants rolled up high. Oh, mermaids not singing his mermaids name. Mermaids are not singing his name. They forgot him when he was gone. Yeah. I don't want to correct you here, but it's actually Tss, Elliot. <laughs> okay, other categories. I did have one that I made up, kind of. I already have my own answer. You got a school dance. Yeah. Where is this best placed? In a high school dance? In a junior high dance? Or a. Primary junior dance. Okay, junior primary high. junior dances don't exist, do they? Not really. Um, they just were listening to kids pop, maybe. Yeah. Junior high for sure, because it's rocky enough that you could kind of dance to it, but mm-hmm. high school kids wouldn't know what to do with this. Yeah. Because it's you too, can 80s dance to this. It's too poppy, and then they wouldn't dance with the nostalgia that we would dance. Like we yeah. would dance to this yeah. at a wedding or something like that. Yeah. This would be great. But the only people who could dance to this are the people as awkward in their sexuality as they are in their dance moves and that yeah. is middle middle schoolers yeah oh yeah thanks once again to Dave Kitchen for bringing his expertise and style to this podcast. I, I like a, a year into this whole podcast that we're finally comfortable with using last names. What's your last name? Well, it's Costner, Kevin Costner. <laughs> Damn it! <laughs> you know how many times I go to Starbucks and what's your name, Kevin Costner, and they just write it down. They they don't know who I'm talking about. It's so terrible. Like right. oh, people don't understand. I'm glad Kevin Frank Costner is willing to finally say his name. So, yeah, thanks, Kitch, for coming back a seventh time. Seventh time. Seventh time. So, this is uh, this has been fantastic. It's my pleasure to help out with all the honeymoon suite information. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, we even touched on Glass Tiger for a bit. Yeah, a little bit, right? So, Kitch, thank you so much. We want to thank all the listeners who have been with us on this journey. You know, after these podcasts are, are done and you guys are, are, are have finished listening, don't forget us when we're gone. <laughs>